Biggie. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. Biggie. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. Ladies and gentlemen, Hot Take Hot Box. My name is Matt McSweeney. We got a lot, a lot, a lot to get into today. Tuesday, May 3rd. 2022, we got the Sixers, Embiid's broken face. Sixers took care of Toronto, but they are now down 1-0 against Miami. So we have a lot to catch up on. We have Eagles draft, which we talked about for months leading up to it. And it, of course, threw a curveball that we could have never expected. A.J. Brown is now a Philadelphia Eagle. We got the Phillies who continued to go up and down, up and down, up and down. So we will get into all of it. And the Flyers are done, thank God. Season's over, so we don't even have to, not that we were talking about it anyway, but that's not even on the radar anymore. So let's do a little catching up. From the last time me and you spoke, the Sixers were up 3-0, everything was peaches and cream. We were we were thinking, we we were pie in the sky. I, I, I've never been that confident, excited, or anything. I should have known that the world was going to come crashing down around me. And lo and behold, it eventually did. Uh, so let's go through it. Saturday, they lose a, that, that tight game where they kind of just didn't have the juice or energy. The Scott Foster, the refereeing was not great. The Sixers come up short, uh, and it's 3-1. You know, you were expecting that Toronto was not going to lay down and just let it happen. Siakam played out of his mind that day, if I remember correctly. I'm pulling up the stats as we speak. He had 34 points, 8-5. and five. I mean, that's that's a ridiculous stat line for a guy who has no business scoring that many points. Embiid, 21. It was just kind of a light game. Harden actually had 22, 5 of 17. Harden has just been Harden. This, that's like the new norm for Harden. Is just a or under like 30% shooting. Just inefficient. Uh, basically non-aggressive. Can't you know? Like I don't want to. I don't want to do all this. I don't want to shit on them nonstop. But it, it, it just this is what it is. We, we did not get that MVP version of James Harden. We didn't even get. I would say seventy to sixty percent. We we got half of what that guy used to be, and he's been a good point guard, good facilitator, somewhat. And he he's he has his flashes, but far too inconsistent for the guy that we were promised and that we thought we were going to get. So, okay, you lose that Saturday game expected. 3-1, not the end of the world. Coming back home, you know, Matisse can play. You'll take care of business. They lay an absolute fucking egg, okay? That that, that game five was the one where the panic alarm, we, we pa- broke the glass and we hit the panic alarm because that that was the most just disgusting game I, I've watched where – we were in it in the beginning, and then second quarter started. They didn't score for like four or five minutes, it seemed like. And that that's where the Raptors just kind of built their lead, and then slowly just as the game progressed, they just, you know, just continued to just build on it, build on it, build on it, and pull away. thing I'm not talking about, which I kind of uh, forgot about, was the whole Embiid. In between game three and four was the Embiid thumb injury, uh, the, the torn ligament in his thumb that I guess got worse somehow uh, after, I mean, he hits that shot at the end of the game in game three. They win the game, and then it comes out afterwards that he's hurt. Uh, And then all of a sudden, what I didn't like, and and this is a sort of an Embiid thing where 
the injury happens or or, an, or something like this occurs and then it's all of a sudden, you know, like it uses it like a crutch or, a, you know, like an excuse where he's constantly, every time he misses a shot, he's shaking it out and I just don't understand how much worse it could have gotten in the, the in those two days in between those games or three days in between those games. I just hate I hate that. It's either you're hurt if you're hurt, don't play, and if you're good enough to go, you're good enough to go. I just don't like. No one really cares for the excuses. You know, the excuses don't really matter. At the end of the day, if we wind up getting swept out of this series or or we we lose in the playoffs, no one's gonna say, oh well, MB got hurt. Like that's great. That if that helps you, if that makes you sleep at night, that helps you feel better at the end of the day. By all means, you you can tell that to anyone that you want to, but. Other fans, other fan bases, people who watch the NBA, they don't give a shit. They're just going to say the Sixers lost in the second round again. It doesn't matter. Our excuse, the excuses do not matter. So you, you have, if you're playing, you have to play well. Otherwise, people are going to hold it against you. That's kind of what we talked about with the Baker Mayfield thing. Kind of a, a real pivot there. But Baker Mayfield played through an injury all season long. Played like shit for the most part, and, and now all everyone thinks he sucks. Let the year before he was, you know. Looking good, he was accurate. He was was running the offense efficiently. He was awesome. He, he was worthy of the number one pick. You know, he was a good quarterback. He was a top fifteen quarterback. Now everyone thinks he sucks. Not the exact same thing, but it just it goes to show you, you don't get rewarded for playing hurt if you don't play well. So he only scores twenty points in that game. The rest of the team, the the starters, all had in the twenties uh, or I'm sorry, in double digits. I should say the bench gave them absolutely nothing. Let me let me read you some of the bench numbers that we had here. Corkmas played two minutes, hit one three, uh, and I'm sure that that was a garbage time sort of situation. Paul Reed three points, Niang three points, Thibel two points. That's it. Shake Milton has been awful, awful. Throughout pretty much this entire playoffs, and I don't have any stats to back it up. That is basically my strictly going off the eye test. He has been horrendous, horrendous, and it's just another year, another situation where we don't have a backup point guard, we don't have a bench, we just don't like all these other teams. When they go to the bench, they're able to pull these guys off. Where you're like, wow, that guy's on their team, that guy's on their team, that guy's on their team. Like, like the Heat have Tyler Harrow coming off the bench, which he's not. You know, I'm not going to sit here and praise that guy, but he he's no slouch. He's no Shake Milton. I don't want to jump. I don't. I don't want to jump too uh, too far ahead. Let, let's just let's let's close this series out first, as the Sixers do eventually close the series out in Game Six, as the angry mob was beginning to uh, populate around this team and just the the overall anger, disappointment, and just all the negative feelings you could possibly imagine where we're circling this team. People are talking about this is going to be the first team ever to blow a 3-0 lead. Yeah, even the national media, like everyone, even people in this area, everyone was starting to get real worried and real alarmed at what, what they were seeing and what was going on. It started to look like a reality. The team looked like a completely different team from those first three games. And, and then those next two games, they just they look like a shell of themselves. And then you... you you tack in the Embiid thumb injury, which seemed like it was really hampering him for those first two two games after the report came out. And, and the thing I had the problem with is it, it it wasn't like really news to me. He's been wearing the tape on his hands for a long time now. Obviously, there's something going on with that, or, or there was a problem with it. So I just didn't see what the big deal was, or why now it's going to be like a shake it out constantly. And maybe he reaggravated it, or something. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it hurts. Like I'm not calling him like uh, like soft or anything like that but it's just at the end of the day it, it doesn't really matter 
You know, it, it really doesn't. You win the game, like play the game, win the game. You know, like it, it, it's pretty. The, the, this time of year, April, May, and June, none of that, none of that shit really matters. It, it's play the game, win the game. Do what, do whatever, whatever by any means necessary. Just take care of business. Sixers win by thirty-five in Game Six. So that that's where. That's where my uh, like disappointment in those first two games, those, those two games before, because Embiid comes out and scores thirty three points, and is absolutely dominant in that game six. People, are, the, the crowd's chanting "fuck Embiid" the whole game. Didn't matter. He came out, performed tremendously. Maxi has twenty five. Harden has twenty two and, and fifteen assists, seven to twelve. Which the efficiency is a big difference when you look at a, at a Harden stat line as opposed to a five for seventeen or a four for sixteen or. Something along those lines where you just look at it and you want to throw up. Tobias had 19. Tobias has been awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome throughout this whole entire playoffs. He was even awesome last night in, in the loss. Uh, I, no no complaints from me uh, as it comes to Tobias Harris's his play has been has been has been incredible compared to what you've received from him in the past and it's he, he's been worthy relatively of the contract that that has always been a big topic of conversation around here so I think Tobias Harris deserves a little bit of credit as to how he's played recently Sixers take care of business in that in that um that game that closeout game in Toronto Danny Green hits about four threes I think they draw the Miami Heat in the first, or second round, I'm sorry. I was about to say the first round. In the first round, the Miami Heat took care of the Hawks, our former arch nemesis, in five games. It was not much of a problem. Butler, Lowry, they were they were sitting out of games. Lowry's still hurt with the hamstring. He's gonna sit. He sat out game one. He's gonna sit out game two. Butler is not exactly looking like himself uh, with the. He's got the knee uh, inflammation. Sort of just dealing with some soreness around there. Uh, I, he just he did not look like uh, uh, Jimmy Butler last night. I will say, you, you look at him with 15 points, five of 16 from the field. Uh, you know, I, so let's just get into last night. Uh, I, and I'm sorry, we're, we kind of skipped over a, a, a bit. I, I skipped over a big part here. Joel Embiid in the final four minutes. Of the Toronto, the Toronto series and Game Six takes a brutal elbow from Pascal Siakam and, and breaks his fucking orbital. So now he's out for at least Game One and Two. He it, that is instantly derails whatever uh, momentum or, or confidence any of us may have felt about this team going forward. Uh, we lose our MVP, and now we have to kind of uh, fight with you know with one hand tied behind our back, as the Miami Heat come at us you know almost at full strength or, or you know at least they have Lowry out, which it hurts them. But at the end of the day, they are much deeper of a squad than we are, and that that's 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 the thing that's gonna just eventually come up to bite us, especially if MB doesn't make it back or shouts that voice crack, but. If he doesn't make it back, we're fucked. But even if he does, that that's the thing that's going to kill us anyway. It was it was a thing that we talked about on here for for periods of time where it's just what do you what do you, you these other teams are so deep they have these quality players like I talked about the Nets were a deep team pulling guys like Dragic off the bench and, and we're over here looking for a Cork Maz, a, a Shake Milton, Niang, you know like these guys aren't going to get it done come crunch time 
I, I, I mean, Niang's even. I don't even. Niang doesn't even deserve to be grouped in with those other guys. He's a much better player than a Shake Milton or a Furkan Korkmaz. Who they're and, and we're going to go into some of the disgusting players that that Doc Rivers played last night, and just some of the disgusting whatever good. Uh, Good graces or goodwill that Doc built up with drawing up that final play with Embiid and kind of just getting getting us out of that, you know that 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 almost catastrophic uh situation of blowing a three zero lead. He 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 ruined it all last night by just some of the arrogance returning to the arrogance again, and some of his just will constant 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 playing of DeAndre Jordan and the loyalty he's showing to DeAndre Jordan. That's killing the team, and the stats it just dictate it. You you don't even have to watch the game to know. Wow, like you you look at it. Wow, they shouldn't be playing that guy. You know that's that's not. A, it doesn't look like a good situation. Bam out of bio, twenty four of 12, 24 of 12, 8 of ten. He's a plus twenty six. Strauss is a plus twenty seven. I'm not a big plus minus guy, but when you look. I think I think it is a, a you know Strauss went one of seven from three. He just happened to be on the floor. So you, you take take some of the good with the bad when it comes to plus minus. It's not an ultimate dictator, but when you look at it, Tyler Harrow coming off the bench had twenty five points. They had, they're pulling guys like Victor Oladipo off the bench as well. Even a Caleb Martin who he's not great, but he he looked good last night, and, and it's a more valuable piece to pull off the bench than a Furkan Korkmaz. Let's go to the Sixers. All right, so overall, if I was going to say that that game last night was there for the taking, a game the Sixers could have easily won. They really, they really could have. The, the Heat did not play well. They didn't exactly shoot the ball well, but we didn't rebound. We we let up so many offensive boards, and that is a result of playing zone. And in a zone, anyone who's ever played basketball before, you know, when you're playing man to man, you have a responsibility to your man to box him out and not let him get that rebound. We know whose fault it is when uh, said person gets a rebound because you're guarding him. You're supposed to box him out. You're supposed to make sure he doesn't get that rebound. In a zone, there is no accountability. There is no real responsibility. So Paul Reed's down there going to war with Bam Adebayo, boxing him out, making sure he doesn't get any easy rebounds. And the rest of the team is just standing around. You saw guys like Harden, guys like Maxi. I know they're little guys. You got to get down there, man. A zone is a zone. You have to help the fucking big guys out. You got to get in there. It can't just be a stand around situation and let other people go and do it. And then you're playing a guy like DeAndre Jordan who is stuck in the fucking mud. He can't move anymore. He's old. He's lazy. He does not have it anymore. It is that simple. I would lo- listen. I was a guy on here who said yes, we should take a chance on him, which I 100% still agree with. You had to take a chance on a guy like DeAndre Jordan, but you can't. After I'm not stupid. I'm not a fucking moron. You can't continually watch this guy play and say, "Oh yeah, throw him in there because he's big." There are plenty of big guys in the NBA, plenty of big guys that are available in free agency. This should have been fucking addressed. They cut Willie, Willie Stein, Willie Coley Stein. You can't tell me he wouldn't be giving us better minutes than than DeAndre Jordan. That's how that's how desperate I am at this point. That when I when I look at it, I'm just like. How? How can this be every single fucking time we get to this time of year? We're going and pulling guys like Greg Monroe off the bench. There has to be another option. There has to be another way. And listen, I'm not 
I'm not a moron, okay? I can understand you can't play Paul Reed the the amount of minutes that he really wants to play him because of you know the 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 foul trouble situation and he's really not he's really not smart when it comes to that. He takes a lot of stupid fouls. I, I get I get that that sentiment and just the the thinking there. The only good thing about us playing Miami is that they tend to go small from time to time, especially when Adebayo is not on the floor. So you can get away with the smaller lineups. The you know maybe a Tobias Harris being the biggest guy on the floor. I mean there was even situations where Niang was in there. I mean that's not bad for him because he because he can't move at all. DeAndre Jordan plays 17 minutes last night and he's a minus 22. All right, Tobias Harris minus 25, Maxi minus 25. Those are not good looks. That's not a good thing, and that's why I tell you that plus or minus isn't a huge dictator of what's going on because Shake Milton, who my eye test could tell you he was awful last night, he was a plus seven, Niang a plus six, so this is not an end all be all. But I'm just saying, I when I and this is another test of DeAndre Jordan, another eye test. When I watch him play, I'm like, oh my god, we need to get him off the floor asap. This is not this ain't this ain't it. This is not working. He also. Pulled Paul Millsap off the bench last night, who has been collecting dust for multiple weeks now, and is no, no, in no way a big man or a replacement for a big man, standing at six seven, and he can't move at all. He's thirty seven years old. So I don't know. I just don't know what the fuck Doc was thinking last night. He was grasping at straws, and he just had no answer. He had absolutely no answer whatsoever. It, it, they didn't. The Sixers did not shoot well as a team, at, at like whatsoever. So I, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that it's all Doc's fault because the the guys that, you, that are out there on the floor they need to play better, and they're down. You know, one of their best players. They shot 18 percent from three. That can't happen. I don't care what Doc plays or who he puts out there. They they need to shoot better. I'm not stupid, okay? I'm not going to sit here and just blame Doc Rivers. But Doc Rivers also has a fucking hand in this, too. He needs to do his part. And that 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 involves playing Paul Reed more than 13 minutes. Paul Reed needs to stay out of foul trouble, too. That That's simple. That's simply put. And I think you need to put a Charles Bassey out there. You need to at least give him some burn in some meaningful minutes. It can't be Paul Millsap. I'm, I'm okay with, with throwing DeAndre Jordan out there for some time. But starting him and just expecting him to give you those those key minutes, or I don't know, man. I I get that. I get it. I get it. I get Doc's his back's against the wall here. He's he's up against it. It's not not the most uh, ideal situation, I guess you could say. But there's got to be a better way. You cannot play Paul Millsap at all. I don't care. Can't play Paul Millsap, and you can't start DeAndre Jordan. I just don't think that that does much for this for the team, and the only thing you're doing is trying to keep Paul Reed out of foul trouble. But simply, you just gotta not foul people, Paul. We need you out there, man. You're you're not a backup anymore. You you're you're essentially starting. You're one of the huge parts of this team. It was a big difference maker when he was out there. You could tell how much better the team was when he was playing center, grabbing some O boards, little steals in the backcourt, just things that. You're not getting from any other guy at that position, so we need we just need we need Paul Reed to to be out there more. We just need the center situation to be uh, more efficiently taken care of by our coach. Uh, we can't go to Corkmaz. We can't go to guys like that. 
Korkmaz playing nine minutes last night. He had nine points, though. So, you know, uh, simply put, these guys just need to shoot better. And they need... they uh, Man, the... They can't go down 2-0. Uh, that, that's where I start to panic because you don't even know if Embiid's coming back for Game 3. We're hoping that he comes back for Game 3. But you, you, need, you need the team to shoot better. You, we really The thing that hurts the most is I really thought last night was one of our best opportunities to steal a game due to the fact that the Heat did not play well and that we were up, we were up in, the, in the third quarter. We were cruising along. Maxi was playing well. And, and then it just all really slipped away from them. In that third, in the second half of that third quarter, and in that fourth quarter, it, it just got away from the team, and we got us. We went from zone to man to man, the zone to zone, like the offensive rebounds, like everything. I just went into. I'm not gonna go brush it all back up again. So for game two, like that, that those are the keys to success. <laughs> they they uh, gave it to you. Need need to rebound the ball. Need to absolutely need to. We cannot give the Miami Heat more than one opportunity on the uh, down down each end. It needs to be one and done every time. If they miss a shot, we need to make sure we capitalize and take advantage of them missing that shot and not give them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. We need to shoot better. We absolutely need to shoot better, and Harden needs to play better too. That that. That goes without saying. I mean, Harden looks good for stretches of games. He had, I think, double digits in the first half, and then he just runs out of gas. He has no gas tank in the second half, and he can't run the offense the way he used to. It's just, You can't expect him to, and he's just not able to do it. Maxie shooting 1 of 6 from 3. Danny Green shooting 1 of 5. Tobias shooting 1 of 4. And Harden shooting 2 of 7. Niang shooting 0 of 7. So, you like... All this shit can't happen again, and I don't think it will. These guys are professional basketball players. It, something, something's got to give. We will be better, but I'm worried that maybe the Miami Heat will be better as well. So, hopefully, we, we steal game two, then we're in business. We we are 100% in business. We're in this series again, and we can get Joel back for game three. And, and let's go. Let's ride. Let's get after it. But right now, I am not feeling too good. Let's uh, let's keep it moving. I, I I imagine you are all tired of hearing me rant about the Philadelphia 76ers, which is a pastime of mine. I've been doing it for many a year now, and now they just continue to give me uh, fuel to let make my brain explode and make my heart collapse. Nothing has changed throughout the 27 years of my life. They have killed me in every way, and I guess they will continue to kill me. Slowly but surely. So, let's move it on. The Philadelphia Eagles had a draft that we have hot, main, big time discussed throughout the whole, from basically the end of the season up until now, up until this April. They originally had three picks. They traded one of them to the New Orleans Saints and had a pick for next year. Kind of uh, uh, what we were calling a kick it, kick the can down the road situation. Now they show up on Thursday night. They have two picks, okay, and uh, that would be 15 and 18, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that, those were the picks that we were slotted to have that night. Rumors are where we were going to trade up. We were going to get this guy, that guy, that guy, this guy. We wanted guys like Thibodeau. Uh, there was rumors of us getting Jamison Williams. There were many, there was plenty of players that we were looking to trade up for. Olav, we, a lot of the wide receivers started to go pretty early on 
in this draft. Uh, so it was not a situation where Howie passed on a wide receiver. It was more uh, they got all got taken before he got the opportunity to take one. Trayvon Walker wound up going number one, which was not a huge shocker, but it was kind of a situation where Aiden Hutchinson was slotted as that number one guy for a long time. And then as the last week rolled around, it kind of shifted over to, now we want Trayvon Walker instead. So Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Stingley goes three to the Texans, Sauce Gardner four to the Jets, Thibodeau five to the Giants, not happy about that. Uh, Aquanu to the Panthers, who were they were rumored to be taking a quarterback, never happened. Evan Neal to the Giants, thought the Giants did well in this draft, as, as did the Jets. Drake London going eight to the Falcons, I'm sure Dean loved that. Crazy high for a Pac-12 wide receiver to go, and, and just glad that we didn't have to be the ones to deal with any of that. Seahawks taking Charles Cross at 9. Garrett Wilson goes 10. New Orleans Saints take Chris Olav in a trade-up situation. The Detroit Lions traded up, and they took Jameson Williams. So, you know, that's one, two, three wide receivers that are already gone. You know, guys like Dotson and Traylon Burks are still there. But, you know, 13, the Eagles trade up above the Baltimore Ravens with, with the Houston Texans. And you didn't know who they were going to take with that trade up. It could have been a Kyle Hamilton. It could have been you don't you really don't know Trent McDuffie. You just didn't know what they were really looking for. What they what they really wanted. Jermaine Johnson. That was a guy who was highly touted during the lead up to the draft. They wound up taking Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis, an absolute physical specimen, gets drafted thirteen. I mean, where do you even begin with this guy? He's six six foot six, six seven, three hundred and fifty to three hundred and seventy pounds. Depends on where where you get him or what 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 day after a meal. You don't know. But this guy ran a four seven four eight at the combine. He ran a four seven a four seven eight. There you go. That's and his vertical jump is thirty two. Like. Bro, like all this stuff for a guy of his size is absolutely ridiculous. He ran a 478 40-yard dash at the 2022 NFL Combine, making him the third player over 330 pounds to run a five run under five seconds after Don Terry Poe and Greg Robinson. That that's absolutely ridiculous, and you can see, you know, not only was he a great player on the field, but when you do that kind of stuff. Off the, not necessarily off the field, but you know what I mean. In the measurables and in the in the combine situation, a workout warrior, which they some people tend to call guys like that who make a name for themselves come this time of year. But I don't think that that's that's applicable to to Jordan Davis because he, I mean, not only did he play in the SEC, but he was making a name for himself on the field. He was already going to be a high draft pick and a guy who the Eagles were talking about picking in this area anyway. Uh, you match that not only with his play playing in the SEC but also getting those, you know, getting those measurables. It, it, it's it seems like a home run sitting here today in April, May. Well, now it's May, but the day the, the draft it, it seemed like a home run. Now, there's a lot of discussion whether he can play all three downs. I don't necessarily listen. I love the pick of Jordan Davis, but it's not a where I'm banging my chest saying, let's go, yeah, like get a defensive tackle, offensive line. They are always smart picks, the D, D line. They're always smart, like uh, solid football picks. 
but they're not necessarily the most flashy or, or uh, you know, exciting picks where you, you're so excited and you can start to, you know, fantasize about what kind of player they're going to be and what the team's going to look like. They are guys who do the dirty work. Jordan Davis is going to be a guy who might not have the greatest stats. You know, he's not going to get a bunch of sacks or anything like that, but he's going to eat blockers up and he's going to allow guys like N'Kobe Dean, who we'll get to, and guys in the linebacking core and just other players to make tackles and make plays. He's, depending on how they use him, Hassan Reddick, all these guys, it looks like they're building a nice little front seven. The the secondary is still a big question mark, but it looks like they, they with this Jordan Davis pick, it's a very solid, solid pick that they can build this front seven with. And it looks like an heir apparent to Fletcher Cox, who eventually, after next year, will probably be ending his tenure with the Eagles 11 or 12 years into it, which yeah, remarkable. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into all that right now. But Kyle Hamilton goes right after him. I'm a Notre Dame guy, obviously. So uh, I would have loved to end up with Kyle Hamilton. When they traded up, I was kind of secretly hoping for them to pick him. He didn't exactly test the the greatest at the combine. I mean, when he ran a 4-5-9 a for a safety and for, for a guy who's going to be having to track down guys who are running, you know, 4-2, 4-2-5, 4-3s, which I'm hitting you with a lot of numbers here and maybe someone who's listening to this isn't that, you know, keen or, or, or into the whole numbers thing, but when you're that's a big difference when you're when you're talking about tracking down these elite shifty wide receivers who are, are just they they're just burners they they can just run right by you and, and if you can't recover and he's a big guy six four two twenty he it's not not a small dude at all but when, when I when I watch him play he, he he's he's a high IQ guy he knows where to be at all times and he just continually made plays all last year for the Irish so I I, I don't see him being a bad player or being a bust or anything like that so that that was my thinking and we needed a safety we needed secondary help that's that that was the only thought process I had going into that that maybe we could make something happen there we wound up trading a lot of fourth and fifth round picks fifth and sixth round picks I should say to get that Jordan Davis pick which we only moved up a couple which not the end of the world you would make that trade mad nine times out of ten if you were trying to get a certain guy but Kenyon Green goes 15 to the Houston Texans. Jahan Dodson goes 16 to the Washington Commanders, giving Carson Wentz another little weapon for him. Chargers get Zion Johnson, a offensive guard from Boston College. And then the 18th pick comes along for the Eagles, and they traded it. They traded it to the Tennessee Titans for A.J. Brown. They traded the the 18th pick and a third-round pick to the Tennessee Titans for A.J. Brown and... For those of you who don't know who A.J. Brown is, you need you need to educate yourself on that. But I'll give you a little bit of a background on what's going on with Mr. Mr. Brown. We, for the first time in a long time, and you can argue with yourselves, but this is the, one of the first times we've had an elite wide receiver probably since Terrell Owens. And he's not of that caliber. I won't say that because T.O. is a Hall of Famer when we got him. But... AJ Brown is the the big thing here is AJ Brown's in his prime. We just signed signed him as well to a four year, hundred million dollar extension, so he will be here for the foreseeable future. This guy is a game breaking wide receiver. He he is a guy who you can just slot him in as your number one receiver. We talked about it 
all throughout the draft process and all throughout the offseason that the Eagles needed to get another wide receiver to play next to Devontae Smith so we can unlock his full potential. Okay. Now the defenses cannot just purely focus on Devontae Smith and just keen in on what he's got going on. They can't have the help shift to one side. Now Devontae Smith is just a part of, of a, a nuclear offense that includes Dallas Goddard who can take care of the middle of the field, A.J. Brown on one side, you got Devontae Smith on the other side, and then you can have a Quez Watkins or a Zach Pascal. I prefer Quez Watkins in that slot with his speed and his ability to just beat beat cornerbacks down, down the sidelines or up the middle. And now the Eagles have themselves a little bit of a, of a nice – scary passing offense, which they still have Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. And I have talked about you, you know, talked about this for weeks and months on end. I'm not the biggest Jalen Hurts guy, but I did say to you, we need to give him all of the weapons possible so that we can find out for sure. Is he the guy or not? And the Eagles did that because at the end of the day, if he, if he winds up stinking, we can just get a, a quarterback next year and next year's draft or we have the picks to trade for a, you know, a disgruntled quarterback, a Aaron Rodgers or something like that. That you, you know, that's just a maybe a Russell Wilson. You know what I mean? Like these aren't the guys that are going to be available. But I'm just saying, guys of that caliber. If you, if, if one becomes available, you now have the firepower to go after and get him, and you have the re- recruiting. Uh, ammo to say, look, you have an A.J. Brown, you have an elite wide receiver here, one of the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL, you have a Devontae Smith, you have a Dallas Goddard, you have a, a solid, solid offensive line that's going to protect you. Like You have everything that you could possibly need to succeed here. Why not come here? And that's the good thing with the, 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 the Eagles here, and that, that's the thing that is giving me the most hope and excitement going on here because... Now we'll get to see truly how good Jalen Hurts is. He he, there is no excuse now. You're not throwing to Jalen Rager anymore. You're not you're not throwing to these uh, quote unquote bums that you were throwing to before. Now you have a legit legit weapon on the one side. You have a legitimate weapon on the other side, and you have a legitimate weapon in the middle. So I am very very happy with this Eagles draft, especially in that first round after that Thursday night. They did a great job signing signing AJ Brown immediately, contingent on the contract extension. They and let, let we now we move. You know, let, I, there's not much you can say other than that. AJ Brown is a game is a, like I said, an absolutely game breaking wide receiver. Last year, you just you know he had he, he had Tannehill throwing to him. Okay, and they are an offense who pounds the rock uh, for the for majority of the game, having a, a guy like King Henry. He'll get the ball 20 to 30 times a game. So there's not much uh, open for him to you know, necessarily get a lot of touches or get a lot of looks, targets, and whatnot. But you know, let's look at some of the stat lines. And he goes on a little bit of a run here in the middle of the season where 7, 791, 8-133, 10-155, those two games are touch, like touchdown games. And then slow, slow, slow. Then they have the game against the 49ers where he has 11 catches and 145 yards. Like, he, I'm not saying he's going to do this every week, but this is a guy who has that capability. He gets the ball in his hands, and he just he takes off. 
He makes people miss. He gets yards. He scores touchdowns. He gets open. He catches tough passes. That That's that, man. That is that. And now the Eagles ha- and Jalen Hurts have a legitimate weapon to just attack with. And that that is simply put, let's go. Let's fucking go. Eagles pick Cam Jurgens in the second round. Center, probably the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey. Kelsey loves uh, Cam Jurgens, says he reminds him a lot of himself. All the, like I said, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, these guys aren't sexy picks, but they're necessary picks. And I like the Cam Jurgens pick. I just, I, I always like picking a, a lineman, if you can, who's not going to be a stiff, hopefully. Look at the Landon Dickerson pick last year. A guy who was, you know, hurt or whatever, and a guy they said they reached on, or people said that they reached on, and and he played a huge part of the Eagles' offense, playing guard and replacing Brandon Brooks, who wound up getting hurt. You never know when you'll need them. You never, you never know what you're gonna get. But he, he, Landon Dickerson has played well. Hopefully, Cam Jurgens can step in if necessary. Hopefully, he's not necessary this year, but. Maybe, you know, like I just said, it's never a bad pick. Third round, they get N'Kobe Dean. N'Kobe Dean, we were talking about, I wanted him in the first round. All these mock drafts that I did, I, I was begging for them to pick a linebacker. And just, I, I was, that's simply put, I was begging for them to pick him. Because he he is a guy who was a captain of the best defense, one of the best defenses to ever play in college football. He was a guy orchestrating everything. The, the smartest guy on the field for them it's what it is what it seemed and the Eagles get him in the third round based off of a a, a pectoral injury that's a slight tear or strain that doesn't look like he's going to get surgery on it looks like the Eagles are expecting him to play right away the Eagles haven't had a linebacker like this in some time I, I off the top of my head uh, Jeremiah Trotter comes to the axeman comes to comes to uh, to mind. Other than that, I don't think the Eagles have really had linebackers like that. Nigel Bradham, those that's another guy you know from the Super Bowl team. But the Eagles needed we big time needed a guy like this, and I love that the Eagles are picking SEC guys for the first time in what seems like ever. You know, like for a while we were picking Pac-12, and I know we picked a Big Ten guy, but I, I'm fine with picking here and there. But it seemed like we were staying away from the best conference in football for what? No wonder we're drafting so bad. No, no wonder we're getting smoked in these drafts year after year after year. We're not picking the best players. We're staying away from the best conference in football. Now we, we pick two guys from the best defense that, you know, historically one of the best defenses ever. And now, now like I said, we move. We, we, we killed this draft. That's what I, I, that was my uh, takeaway from this. We got wound up getting one, two, three, four, five players out of this draft. Now... The top three are, are the big ones, and then you move to the last two guys are, are sixth-round picks who you can't really get too all that excited about. Uh, an inside linebacker, a Sam linebacker, as they call him uh, now, which all you football guys can give breakdowns of uh, what's going on there. Kyron Johnson from Kansas. Johnson played both linebacker and defensive end during his five seasons at Kansas. He kind of... Does a lot of what Hassan Reddick will do. So maybe he'll give him breaks. Or if, say, Reddick were banged up or had to miss a couple weeks with an injury, he could be the guy that would probably step in there. Given that background, it would make sense for the Eagles to give him a look at in the pass-rushing Sam linebacker role as a backup to Hassan Reddick. He has rare speed, 4-4, uh, wow, 
4-4 40-yard dash for his size, 6 foot, 235 pounds. Johnson moved to edge rusher in 2021 and posted 6.5 sacks and 8.5 tackles for loss. So that's a good good find, it seems like, in the, what, 6th round? 6th round, 181 overall. And another round 6, 198 overall. Grant Cal- Calcaterra. I'm not, not good with the Italian names, but an all-AAC, a- not ACC, all-AAC from SMU. Second team selection in 2021. Calcaterra played three seasons for Oklahoma before retiring from the game as a result of concussion issues. He was set to pursue a career as a medical uh, emergency medical medical technician, EMT, but decided to give football another go. Calcaterra spent his last year at SMU catching 38 balls, 465 yards, and four touchdowns. He'll be competing for a role behind Dallas Goddard, along with the likes of Tyree Jackson, Jack Stoll, and uh, receiver turned tight end J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, which that could honestly be, hey, could be a big thing. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside moving to tight end. You know, you, n- you never know. It seems like he is the guy who is built for tight end. He's known for his blocking. He's like a like a blocking wide receiver that you bring into the game. So I don't want to spend too much time on six-round picks in the draft, but we'll see if he makes the team or whatnot. I really like the Kyron Johnson pick. I like the front four. Uh, you know, we'll see if this Calcaterra guy gets on the field. He, he It looks like he's facing an uphill battle to even make the team. So rooting for him, though. Uh, good for him. You know, hopefully he can stay healthy. I don't like to hear guys having concussion issues and – just the the brain is not not a, not something to play with. So, Eagles overall did well in the draft. I would give it like a, a B plus, A minus sort of draft. You know, they didn't really have that many picks. That and the only reason it's not like an A plus or or uh, even higher is just based off the fact that they did not really improve on the cornerback situation or the secondary situation, which is a huge huge. Um, uh, cause for concern or, or just a something that that I'm worried about uh, they, they you know they, we don't have a corner opposite Darius Slay we don't really have all that you know that many safeties that we can trust or that that we've seen them play for you know years we just lost Rodney McLeod who was kind of the anchor back there so you're gonna be counting on guys like Kayvon Wallace and, and, and guys like that Marcus Epps you know Anthony Harris it just you know, we'll see. But that 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 is the only thing that holds me back from giving the star of approval here for our Philadelphia Eagles. But no complaints. There's plenty of time to still make moves. I did want them to get Tyron Matthew, but he wound up going home to the New Orleans Saints who have figured out a way to clear their $70 million over-the-cap situation and now are is still signing free agents somehow. So God bless. Good luck. The Philadelphia Eagles, uh, we got probably a will be a lull in, in our Eagles talk now for a long time because that's just that's it. The draft is the pretty much the end of the excitement for football season until training camp and, and stuff like that rolls around and we start getting reports of this guy's cooking and this guy's wow, this guy looks good. Jordan Davis looks elite and wow, AJ Brown and the Jalen Hurts connection looks incredible. So We'll talk about that when the time comes, but for now, the Eagles, we are feeling good about them. So let's move it on to the Philadelphia Phillies, who are now 11-12. and 12. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and go through all the games. They did not play well against the Brewers. They come back and they sweep the Rockies, which was huge. The Bats, 8, 10, 7, and 7 runs 
which is going to be how these Phillies are going to have to win games. And then they they the, the Mets series they go no they get no hit on Friday night. They score four runs in a game where you know they got they got some really good quality pitching from the bullpen. Uh, you know Gibson didn't exactly have his best stuff there, but you know. You get Alvarado, James Norwood, Dominguez, Familia, uh, Knable comes in for a uh, four-out save. That that's that's going to be the recipe, man. If the bullpen can hold up, they have to pick it up when the when the pitching staff doesn't necessarily play well. So the Phils, like I said, eleven and twelve. You got guys like Harper starting to hit the ball finally. Hoskins is still you know in the two hundred range, which. That is not going to get it done. Harper's up to 253, which is huge based off of his early start, which was ugly. Would like to see him get back out on the field. I, I don't know what's going on with that elbow. The elbow is still a situation where he can't really get out there and play the field and throw the ball. So concerning, but not the end of the world. Castellanos still doing his thing, still knocking doubles and singles and you know hitting home runs when he, when it's necessary, but... He's kind of slowed down this last week since I've uh, talked to you. Hoskins still in the dumper. Real Muto has slowed down. Schwarber finally, you know, he's hitting a ton of homers, but he's not exactly hitting for average. Segura down under 230. Camargo has done his thing. Bohm's come back to earth, but he's still in the 300s. You know, Didi, look at that, 275. But, uh, you know, and the, yeah, he's a big thing, though. Oh, Double. Oh, Double, uh, since he's been come back, he's come back from injury, he's hitting 300. And he's, you know, he even led off the, the one day when Segura wasn't playing. He's kind of been a nice little addition and a nice uh, change of pace for the Phillies who have gotten essentially nothing from center field for the majority of this season, last season, the season before, you know. So give give props to Oduble. I, I'm not exactly thrilled about that, but, you know, props where it's necessary. Matt Veerling has been awful, absolutely awful, and... You're starting to see a little bit of Roman Quinn now, who's played in a few games, and adds that speed element. I was at the Thursday afternoon game against the Rockies. He stole a bag. He just puts pressure on the the defense when when he's out there, and he covers so much ground out in center field that he he has his value, but he's just not a guy you can play every single day. So. It looks like Oduble and Quinn are going to be the two guys that you're going to count on for now until maybe you get a Mickey Moniak back after the wrist injury. But the lineup has done well, you know, not great, but well. And you're getting good pitching from Gibson. Nola has done all right. Eflin didn't throw that well the other night. Wheeler has been okay. He pitched great in that Thursday game. Suarez, okay, and and so on and so forth. But... You're gonna need. You're just gonna need more from the from the lineup. You just need more from everyone. But the the fills right now are. It's not a end of the world situation. Like I told you, I'm not going to get too worked up about baseball in April and May. And I'm not going to. You know, now I don't want to fire Joe Girardi anymore. You know, you know, I, not that I want to keep him that much, but he's not really killing the team as much as he was. We're still four and a half out, three and a half in the wild card. So. We're, we're just got to stay within arm's reach, stay alive in this thing, and then we can, you know, we, we, we will continue to make progress, keep it moving, and just continue to play better. The good thing is they're not in the dumper like they were the last time I talked to you, the panic alarm. Uh, we have not removed the glass case around the panic alarm where we can, you know, start to beat that thing. It's 
we're okay right now. It's still May, like I said. We it just be it just started being May. So, Phils have a big series here because uh, every series is big when you are me and you are a Phillies fan. We have a big series against the Texas Rangers who come to town, eight and fourteen. So it's a a uh, golden opportunity, I would say, to get some wins. Only two games, and then the Mets come to town next week for a four-game series, which will be huge. That will that will be an enormous, enormous uh, series where you know we're gonna get all these games of the Mets out of the way. We've played the Mets four separate times now to begin this. Wait, one, uh, two. This this will be the third series. Uh, forgive me, but yeah, I mean that's huge. And then you go out west next week, so. We got to get our wins here. We have a six-game homestand here. May, you know, I'd like to win four of the six at least. Hopefully, we can win these two against the Rangers, and then and then you know just keep keep our get the momentum back. Six runs on Sunday night was nice. I liked I like us above five runs. If we if you give us above five runs, we will be in every single game. We will almost win every game, obviously. But the the bats that's always going to be the big part. The bats. We go out west. We play the Mariners, who uh, you know are a are a team that's very similar to us, and then we play the Dodgers, who are a absolutely just bomb squad. And then we come back home, and the Padres come and meet us, who are a bomb squad. And then the Dodgers come to town, who are an absolute bomb squad. And then we the Braves, who are kind of like us. So we that that's basically the whole month of May is just bomb squads. So we need to survive this. We need, we can't be getting our, our dicks kicked in. We, we're gonna have to show that we are a team that's going to be playoff eligible or a team that you're going to have to respect. So th- this is a huge, huge couple weeks here for our fills. Hopefully we can survive it. Hopefully we can start to, you know, show our, show our teeth and, and show that we're a real, a legitimate baseball team. But until then, I guess we will, we will, we will see. So that's 50 minutes of quality, quality, hot take, hot box content, podcasting. I'm going to try and come back later in the week. Uh, we're definitely going to do a Shoulder Strikes MMA podcast on UFC 274 this weekend. Justin Gaethje is trying to fight for the the lightweight title. Fighting against Charles Oliveira, Du Bronx. Got Rose Thug Rose Namajunas fighting and defending her title against Carla Esparza. We got El Kakui, Tony Ferguson fighting against Michael Chandler. There's a ton, a ton of good fights this weekend. And we'll make some bets. We usually do good on the on the pay-per-views, ladies and gentlemen. We usually do. Me and Tiger Pone will be here. And we will come back with some sports as well, like we always do. So, thank you for joining me as always. This has been the Hot Take Hotbox. My name is Matt McSweeney. And hopefully, we'll see you next week.